Well, you just said, like, what am I doing watching Elf? Yeah. Um, probably. I mean, it's hard to escape Elf on Christmas because if you're near a TV, it's probably happening. It's kind of uh, you know what? inevitable. It's not bad. It's not a bad movie. And it, it, it doesn't... It, it's weird because I, I recently saw Elf and I still was kind of... Uh, entranced by it i was still paying a lot i was paying attention i wasn't like annoyed at it like i think the jokes kind of held up on it it's cute it's fun it is i want to see that new grinch the grunch how the grunch stole christmas they're really pushing it too yeah they love the grunch they have really bad new york subway ads for it oh yeah yeah the ads are like bet you're gonna miss your next train wow the grinch in theaters so, so he's went from being like just trying to steal Christmas to now he's just trying to kind of like inconvenience everyone's day, just kind of make sow the seeds of doubt. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Tyler the Creator did the score, right? Really? What? What would that possibly sound like? Pretty good. It sounded. I hate when he calls the the Grinch the N word, though. <laughs> oh yeah, that one is that part is uh is like okay, man, you. See, that's the thing, though, is, like, it's hip. He's taking... That's what takes uh, this Grinch into the the new year. You know, I, I imagine a boardroom pitch of, like, we want to do another Grinch movie, and then they say, why? There's so many. What are you going to do? That It's the most, you know, generic farmed territory. And then they're like, well, this year we're going to call the Grinch the N-word. <laughs> that's pretty much it and then there's this like we... someone someone slow claps in the boardroom like like we never considered that we never considered what calling the grinch the n-word would do for the the this year we're the, the grinch the ip they'll call grinch a colored person oh yeah see that's that that would be a whole other thing that they, they could do a version of the grinch where where uh the grinch is like a metaphor for uh for black people in america and then what would happen is that uh two one of two things either uh white people would be upset by this or much more likely not notice uh that like the grinch is like uh being shamed and and living uh away from everyone on top of a mountain kind of like ostracized by the rest of culture um is a metaphor for for like black social uh economic uh like their status um and uh instead just feel bad for the grinch because i feel like that happens all the time with movies where they they try and they try and do something where they they uh use like a parallel uh to to make people understand another side of the world and then they fail because people are so stupid that generally they don't understand that Fa 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 fa. All right, Masoni. The so, bread is the bread. So, do you want to do the board game awards or the run through? Well, we got to do video games. We don't have a choice. I have this whole list. Well, I have a whole list for board game awards. Well, you know what? Then we're gonna have to do both. Reese's pieces. Not only do I have, uh, not only have I selected my top three. Actually, I haven't. It's very hard to choose between some of them, but. I also have the list of all of the games. Yeah, but I, we, we can't do the awards for games yet anyway, because we need other people for that. No, we don't. Nobody else plays games. No, we're going to get other people for that. Really? Yeah. I don't believe it. Who who played games this year? Um, to Like 10 other people. I don't know. I don't think games are that Nobody popular. Nobody else played games this yeah. year. 
It's really all about the I boards. I don't want someone to come in here and tell me that their game of the year is Overwatch. Oh, God. Man, that's a soul, That's a whole other thing. It's like the Blizzard. Have you been paying attention to the Blizzard stuff? I have been. Yeah, let's uh, let's steer clear of that for today because we have... Uh, this is the holiday time of year, right? This is WTDG podcast for the holidays. And at the yeah, end of the year... Yeah, this snuck up on us a little bit. I don't like it. At the end of the year, the thing that I always look forward to is that game of the year discussion stuff where your favorite podcasts are just pumping out those episodes about all their favorite stuff from the year. But longtime listeners will know that we take a different approach where we go through. Well, we do that. We do. And we do an episode. We've been doing episodes that are award shows, but then we also have our go through continue the whole year. And we talk about all the games that we cared about. Yeah, this is the celebration episode. This is the positive feelings episode. And some of these games we might say negative things about, but let's try to stay merry. All right. Man, this snuck up on us. Okay, well, go ahead. So for, Kick for us off. You're the one who has the list. We're, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to have to have, you know, two episodes here. Uh, we're we're going to do our traditional video game episode like everybody expects where we go through each uh month and talk about games but you know uh we're also gonna have to have either i mean at some point a discussion about board games that I, that was what i got ready discussion. for so i have a, i have a whole board game awards list all right so i i think that the thing that we should do first is is let's 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 run through these games and let's see where we net out and possibly you know, if you've got the uh, the coal in your engine. Yeah, well, it's uh, not the coal. Which, it's really the, the light is, at the end of the tunnel, if you know what I mean. Or, well, the I thing mean, about coal is that coal canary. is heavy and coal. Uh, do I need to tell you the story of coal, how coal was, well, was coal, transported? Coal was typically, yeah, coal had to be transported by trains, whereas steel was uh, usually transported in lower quantities by horseback. So in January of 2018, quite a few notable games came out. I would say at least four games come out that I could imagine being on people's game of the year. Oh, lists. for a second, I thought you were just going to say there was there's four games that came out you could imagine being. You could imagine being those games. So Celeste, January 2018, awesome platformer, great soundtrack, great style, uh, maybe probably the best platformer that released this year. Uh, I, I have this game on the Switch. I haven't beat it, but I'm liking it a lot. The writing is great. The music is good. Uh, have you had a chance to play this? Is this a? I have not. A I've, been, of... I've been busy when uh, and when I get on the Switch, it is about Smash Brothers. That's uh, unexpected. So you know, another thing that came out in January that uh, you don't have any interest in is uh, Subnautica. Probably so. Subnautica. It's you know, it's it's a game where you're essentially exploring this uh, underwater alien planet. That's not true. Uh, I was interested pretty... in this. I, I, th- I know what you're talking about. This is the one that has, like, a weird story, and you're kind of alone, and it's like a survival game. And it's pretty scary, too. Uh, you know, it, it gets very dark under there, very quiet. The, the, the way that this game uses quiet is really cool. You know, uh, it, it's something that I guess a lot of people wouldn't think about when they think about survival games, but because of the fact that this one is underwater, I, I think that they that they do a lot of cool stuff with the sound. 
Yeah. And that's something I think is pretty neat. So now for Ryan's most played game of the year, released in January, it's Dragon Ball Fighters. Yes, it is. Man, what a good game. But oh man, but this is another thing. Here's another thing that is uh that has been kind of ruined by recent news. Oh, so sad. Have you heard anything about the What happened? No, what's this about? Uh Koei is pulling Dragon Ball Fighters from tournaments. Because they, wa- they want it to be, like, only on their, like, Dragon Ball Fighter World Tour kind of thing. So they're pulling it from, like, all these major tournaments, most notably Evo Japan. Uh, that's like a they dropped Nintendo it off. move. Yeah, that's, that is so bizarre. See, they're, see they're, this is worse, though. This is worse than, a, this is much, for, much worse than a Nintendo thing. Nintendo is a bunch of old people, and... They didn't understand what people were using Smash Brothers for. So they thought, like, they, they thought we came out with this party game and people are playing it for fun in their homes. And then some people, uh, you know, considering the popularity, uh, fashioned, you know, hard an attempt at hardcore fighting game rules and wanted to put it in, you know, Evo and, and stuff like that. So it makes a lot of sense to me why... If you just hear, if you don't know anything about the the hardcore uh, Smash contingent, that you hear, you know, Smash is going to be broadcasted at, in a tournament, and you and you don't know anything about this, and you say like, "Whoa, no, no way! That's like our that's our property, that's our IP. We didn't give you the the rights to broadcast our game at your tournament." And then when people and then people protested, and they kind of were like, "Okay, well, we made a mistake. Uh, you guys made a bunch of money to have Smash on." on uh evo and we didn't realize that this was a group and going forward uh we're gonna cater to you guys a little bit more and they've done that they've they in the most recent the last two smash uh games they they seem to care more about the hardcore contingent um but it's but it's really weird when you release a hardcore fighting game for the like fighting game audience and then start like pulling that after especially after like a year of being at tournaments a year at being any tournament dragon ball fighters could be at it just suddenly gets pulled from everything that's just bizarre to me that's just like a a weird thing like it it, i i don't understand because that that would be like a death knell for dragon ball fighters like that would kill that game so quickly like if it was never going to be at any tournaments and it was just weird this weird like cash grab IP that they're not going to let people play on stages anymore, then I, I think even with as, with as much as I'm loving that game, I think I would have a hard time still playing it if it like stopped being something that people cared about and was just this thing. You just, you know, just play it. Don't, don't stream it. Don't show anyone it. Don't Fair talk enough, about it. But, but we, uh, we got to keep it fast and furious, Ryan. You know what else released in January on the same day as Dragon Ball Fighters? Do you know? Was it Slay the Spire? No, it was Monster Hunter World. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. I stayed up that, that night. That old chestnut. Remember? What a good game. Remember that game? Uh, best Monster Hunter in the series. Uh, also, a lot of people's first Monster Hunter it was right around the time where people were feeling like super burned by destiny. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, a lot of people on the destiny subreddit recommended monster hunter games to people. Yeah. So, and that so, was, a, uh, and that was a great was, time to recommend it. Cause it was a fantastic game. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have let you down. 
And the uh, first expansion was just announced, Iceborne, which is going to bring G-Rank, is going to bring new monsters, new variants, new gear, new maps, all that coming out 2019. Almost a year. It's crazy that they kind of announced it for so far away. Yeah, that is pretty wild, especially since it's not a whole game. It's just a expansion, but maybe it's a really massive expansion. Maybe we just don't know. Probably like a $40 expansion, I bet. So, Ryan, the last game, the fifth game of January, Iconoclasts. Wait, Slay the Spire didn't come out in January? Slay the Spire is not out at all, because Slay the Spire is an early access game. Oh, fuck you. All right. Well, you got me on a technicality. Uh, no, but Slay the, Slay the Spire came out November 15th, 2017. Really? So it didn't, yeah. That's when it came out. Oh, dang. 2017. Huh, I can't even put it on anything then. You're in the wrong year, friend. That sucks. Oh man, I was I was waiting to get some Slay the Spire love, considering that's like my second most played. But um uh Iconoclast is okay. Iconoclast is pretty good. It's it's a uh, it's not it, it it's uh it has good art uh and and solid writing and it's very it's kind of like it's almost laugh out loud funny at sometimes, but it's a Metroidvania that's kind of slow with the Metroidvania. And I think the narrative kind of like slows it down sometimes. Um, I never really found this game to be like that uh, pulling me forward that much, but it's still a good game. I think that some people would. would I, I think it's the kind of thing where where uh, a lot of people are going to bounce off of it, and then some people are going to find it to be like the greatest thing, and like they're really going to love the characters and the artwork, and uh, you know, dig it. Yeah, I, I feel like for people who like the style of iconoclasts. There were a lot of games that came out this year that people could get behind. I mean, even like Celeste has like that similar sort of style to it. Yeah, pixel art, chunky pixel art. So that's cool. Yeah, and also like the strong female lead. Yeah. So Which is, it's a little cool. bit more prevalent in Iconoclast because she's a speaking role, right? I don't know. Or oh, actually, I don't know much yeah. about Celeste. It's more. Well, no, Celeste absolutely has a lot of speaking. Okay, all right. A lot of then, dialogue in okay, I didn't know that. I thought it was just more gameplay focused. Nope. Okay. You see, Ryan, the mountain is a metaphor. For what? It actually is. Uh, depression. The Grinch? And, uh, overcoming mental illness, actually. Okay. But, anyways, February, another game with a strong female lead, and that is Tangle Deep. Tangle Deep is probably. My favorite turn-based roguelike. <laughs> wow, it really stuck in your neck out there, it seems like. That's a, that's a caveat, right? That's a couple of caveats. Turn-based roguelike. But honestly, most roguelikes should be turn-based. Otherwise, they're more roguelite. Uh, I was, you know, I, I put like 40 hours into this game almost. And the only reason I stopped is because I was like, you know, they said that a Switch version's coming out, so I'm going to hold off. And it never came out. And I constantly bothered the developer on Twitter. Like, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Did you really? And, you know, yeah. And, and the first few times I asked, he's like, yep, we're working on it going well. Yep. And then, you know, would share like some some gifts. And then then he just stopped. So, uh, hey, Tangle Deep developer. Uh, how's it going? Where's where's the game? When's it coming to Switch? But whatever. So Tangle Deep is great. It is a turn-based uh, roguelike 
roguelites sort of situation where uh, you sort of have this village and you tend to the village, add new stuff to it, capture monsters. Uh, there's a lot of classes to choose from and you can dip into multiple classes to build your character out in a series of different ways. And uh, it borrows some things from Disgaea, such as the item world where you can go into an item and uh, there's like a procedurally generated dungeon around it. And if you can complete it, then you add new like stats to the items and uh, it's really neat. And sometimes really brutal and punishing because when you die, die. That's but what we, that's what we call like a rogue light or like. You know what else came out in February? Final Fantasy fifteen, the Windows edition. Yeah, did you you played that though, right? I played that for four hours. Okay. Which is not enough to get into it, but too much to refund it. Wow. Yeah. That's a that's that's a that's do quite a pickle. Do you think I should? Do you think I should give it another go? Um, I just thought it was kind of boring. It is a little boring a lot of times, and uh, I, I don't know if it ever picks up in uh, gameplay wise, uh, story wise. It kind of it, it's it's uh, it it has a really tremendously bad ending. I don't know if they fixed. Uh, they have what, so much DLC in it now. Yeah, but that's not going to fix what how bad the ending is. So I hope that they've done a complete overhaul of that because it's not it's it's weird too they because They might have honestly. It's weird because the ending it's not a um it's not like the story did something I didn't like necessarily. It was more that the game they make a gameplay choice that is absolutely insanely bonkers. It's like no human being would want to make this choice. And I, I have never heard anyone say a single positive thing about it. And that's for that reason, it's kind of frustrating or hard to recommend someone dump a lot of hours into something and then possibly hit this really bad wall near the ending. Um, but uh, if you ever I feel like if you want like a pick me up, like for the most part, what Final Fantasy 15 does the best is just when you're cruising around with your boys and you know you're 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 given high fives and stuff like that. That if that you just feel good. If you want that feeling, then Final Fantasy can give that to you because I, I just I just really like the friendship of the the characters, uh, and that's pretty much it. But the but that alone was enough for me, where like it actually made it a worthwhile game to play just for the friendship, which I think is pretty bizarre to say. But it Until was just they done so took well. The boys away, right? Yeah. Which is a thing that happens allegedly. I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's but there's been enough times. I guess I could explain this a little bit. But the what happens at the ending is that the like last, let's say, if you go, if you're just going really quickly through the story and you're not doing all the side stuff, then basically the last quarter of the game, uh, they uh, take away all they up and previously up until that you've been driving around as a group of four um to different locations and you know it's kind of a more of a final fantasy uh with like mmo trappings where you're getting quests and going around and adventuring and you're you're uh you know mostly like hanging out and you have this party style active turn-based combat and then at the end of the game uh they take all the other characters away you only have noctis and I think they, like, remove most of your abilities. Like, everything you've been working for throughout the whole game kind of resets. And the game turns into a stealth game for a little while. 
for the last like quarter of the game where it's just it's it's just absolutely horrendous and monotonous like stealth segments which are like not you're you're no longer really doing the like active turn-based and like fighting and stuff you're just kind of in a stealth game and it's horrible it's horrible it doesn't make any sense and they and it's it's also weird to be like playing a like an rpg and an important part about an rpg is the character progression and then to just strip that all away like all everything you would like about the game like the the other characters their interplay all of your progress is kind of all stripped away and then you play this weird stealth game but well i don't know if i want that yeah i don't think you'd need it sometimes i feel bad when i get close to finishing a game and i don't finish it and it happens to me a lot and i feel like even if i did proceed with Final Fantasy 15, I would probably just stop right before the ending. Yeah, that that's that's frustrating. That that is a I I can't even believe the choice. It really just seems like that was supposed to be the like the ending of the game is what they were originally doing with Final Fantasy Versus, and then yeah. they made Final Fantasy 15. They like you know they 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 turned it into Final Fantasy 15, and they said no, it's actually going to be about this character and his best friends going on a journey. But then near the ending, they were like, we don't have anything cohesive. We have to wrap up development. This has been being developed too long. So they just used all the assets and stuff in the end, which is bizarre because if they had done it in the beginning. Very freaky. Yeah. Uh, But you know what? There are other games released in February. You could play those instead. One of which is Into the Breach, uh, second game by the developer of FTL. This was a neat little uh, sort of XCOM-y tactical strategy game uh so if you played like fallout tactics final fantasy tactics uh something to that degree uh the thing that i really like about this game first off is that like all of the information is revealed to you up front there's nothing about the game that is like too random there's nothing about the game like the enemies aren't going to act in some way that you can expect uh one thing that i really like about this game is that like they sort of do like this time travel thing right where you've seen the future and you know what the bugs are going to do. And because of that, that that also plays into the gameplay where before a creature, essentially, you know what every creature is going to do before it does it. And because of that, you can mess with it. So if there's a creature that you know is going to just like charge forward and hit whatever's in front of them, you could push one of the enemy units into them so that they kill their own unit. And it's stuff like that that's really cool, where it, essentially the gameplay, even though it happens at this small scale, feels really smart and feels really rewarding and makes you feel pretty smart. And because of the way that it has like these roguelite elements of uh, as you go through the game, you're unlocking these different factions and different units uh, that play differently. So there will be like a faction that's all about mo- movement and manipulation of enemy units. There will be one that's all about like... Uh, freezing enemies or light or chain lightning and stuff like that. Uh, and the style's pretty slick. The only uh, thing that I wish I had is I wish I had a version of it that wasn't on Windows. Uh, I wish that there were a version of this game. It's on uh, Switch. On, on like iPad. Oh, it's on Switch now. It wasn't on Switch when it first came out. Yeah, but it is. That's pretty sweet. Maybe maybe I would get back into that if it weren't uh, a Super Smash Brothers machine right now. Yeah. Uh, but Into the Breach was pretty cool. Uh, outside of that, another game that came out in February that I wish I played, that Furbury. I did not get the chance to play, 
that I plan to play before the end of the year is Kingdom Come Deliverance. Have you heard anything about this game? Uh, yeah, that's like the uh, open world medieval game, right? Similar to Mountain Blade, yeah. So, like, first person, like, so think of Skyrim, but without any of the fantasy trappings and, like, way more focused on, like, the hand-to-hand combat where, like, you're engaging with people and, like, even fighting, like, one person is dangerous. Fighting two people is, like, you're probably going to die. But as you're, like, striking, there's, like, five different strike points that you could hit them on. Uh, seems really neat. It, it seems almost like a sim, uh, but it's not. So I'm looking to get into that. I, I'm looking for something that's more story-driven, single-player focus right now. So that is a consideration. And that's what I got through February into March. Uh, Warhammer Vermintide 2. Oh, yeah, we played so a little bit of that. This is a game that feels a lot like Left 4 Dead. Uh, where essentially you're running through these uh, maps that and and they're sort of enemies swarming you. Think of like a horde mode, but you're progressing through a map and the horde mode is going on. Uh, similar to Left 4 Dead, it has this sort of AI director to it that will you know determine how well you're doing, and based on that will spawn like these super units. Uh, will will make sort of like hordes come in and attack you will give you different uh, ammo or health, depending on how well you're performing, things like that. Uh, pretty cool. The thing that I like about it more than I like Left 4 Dead 2 is that it has these different classes uh, that have the different weapons, and, and playing them all feels pretty different and pretty neat. Um, but you have to really like the core of this game because it's very grindy. Uh, and, and I don't say grindy as like a bad thing, but uh, essentially... If you've played a little bit of the game, you know what to expect for the rest of the game. Yeah, but I, w- I would say the, the the big thing that we've kind of fell off with was that the balance doesn't seem there or something to that effect. Like there there are like levels and uh, equ- like equipment like that that uh, you're getting that is different, you know, like actual like rarities with different stats. Um, so I don't know if that was kind of playing into it a little bit, um, but I just don't feel like there was a good balance of difficulty. I think that I don't know if we ever, if I ever saw one of the scenarios beaten uh, in like, you know, the 10 hours or something that I played. Like we, I, I never, like a lot, a lot of times I had issues with teammates or I was under leveled or, or anything. And it was, we could, we could be going like super, everything could be going super well. And then just like, it seems like there'd be like a time where just the, the spawn, they would just spawn tons of enemies that are just like impossible for us to deal with. And I don't know. Yeah, I just never I felt like they've, the... that they've, I think they've resolved a lot of that. They've actually been nonstop patching it uh, since we played it. I think some expansions have come out. There's now a steam workshop where you could uh, throw in some mods and things like that. So now it's pretty, pretty flexible, pretty customizable in terms of difficulty. Uh, probably in a better state than than we got into it. And, you know, this is another thing that I've been thinking about is, like, uh, there are a lot of games this year that I didn't play right when they came out, and I actually waited a few patch cycles and uh, enjoyed it a lot more. And uh, it, it's really easy in, in video games culture to get sort of, like, swept up in the zeitgeist of, like... Uh, Cult of the New. And... New stuff, yeah, Cult of the New. Which is, I think, a little bit more prevalent a uh, concept in board games, uh, but definitely, definitely applies to video games as well. 
but you, you don't have to play new stuff right when it comes out because guaranteed uh, there's hundreds of games just like that game you haven't played yet that deserve your attention as well. And that's uh, something that I'm, I think about as I look at uh, new games that have been releasing even up to and through this month and then just looking at all those Steam sales. So uh, that is all I've got for February. So games, oh wait, we're already in March. Look at how fast we're going. Uh, Far Cry 5 released in March. We didn't play it. Nope. So that's that. Nino <laughs> Kuni 2, The Revenant Kingdom. You did play it. Uh, released in March. I thought that that was a pretty cool game. I didn't beat it, but I really liked it. Uh, it was very relaxing, very like chill. I, I like that there's also this sort of like idle element to it of uh, you build up a kingdom and then there's like passive income happening. So there's like this really cool loop of like you're out and you're adventuring and then you, you come back to your kingdom after an adventure and there's all this like stuff waiting for you to do. Uh, a lot of people complain that the game was a little bit too easy. I, I know that, you know, uh, referencing the last thing I said, that that's changed quite a bit now. They've released multiple patches and iterations. Uh, they've released some some different, like, graphic settings and things like that, as well as uh, more difficulty levels. So there's, like, a hard mode and things like that. Nice. But other than that, it's a really, really well-voice-acted, uh, fun, friendly, cute, charming uh, game that sort of plays like a third-person action game where you're just... Uh, Whacking enemies, casting spells, going through pretty simple dungeons. And it kind, that's of, it kind of seems a little weird to have this, like, um, everything gets patched after it comes out. I, I, I'm not saying remotely. Like, I don't think this is the argument of of uh, people are, are, are releasing their games broken. I don't, I'm not saying Nino Kuni was released broken at all. I just think it's interesting that, that every game these days seems like it's got at least a couple months of service uh, from developers yeah. in, in a weird way of like games can release totally fine. You know, Cooney released to good reviews and I think everyone kind of liked it for what it was. And it's weird that, that developers uh, even on like com pretty complete games that they don't really need to work on afterwards uh, will release a lot of like updates and hot fixes and stuff. And even like a little patch to, add you yeah. know these things to smooth over player gripes like uh adding it making the game more difficult or adding new content yeah well you know they say that uh and this is a number that's been floated around a lot but they say that 90 percent of a game sales happen in the first week and maybe it's just developers trying to uh or maybe not 90 percent of the sales but 90 percent of the revenue but maybe this is developers just trying to uh spread that out a little bit more Maybe, yeah, but it seems like, like a... it seems weird because if you, I, I, I don't know, I never know developers or business people to not just lean into what works and what makes them money. So it, it like it doesn't. It seems like the correct thing to do would not not release your game broken necessarily, but release your game ready to go, and then just say like it's out, it got good reviews, don't touch it. Why are you guys still doing development on this? Like. You would think that everyone would just get pulled off of it, uh, off it instantly. Like, good, good job, guys. People are buying the game. Reviews are good. We're happy with the product. Um, stop working on it. Hmm. And, but and you know, part of me though, I I didn't purchase like the season pass for any No Kuni. But you know, I, I look at it now uh, as someone who you know, as I just said, is, is looking for some single player game to play, and I know that they've released all this extra content. 
and that they've been patching the game and it's and it sort of motivates me to maybe think do i want to just pick up that season pass get all that new that content that i haven't played yet and uh you know it, it's like a totally updated kind of fresh game yeah it's almost like a, a sequel is rolled into that initial game uh, if that game came to switch i think i would i would hard dig it but uh you know that's how i'm feeling i'm waiting for that dragon quest all right keep going but anyways april spy party came out in april spy party oh, you was bought me really that and we cool. still haven't played it Spy Party is so cool. I've played quite a bit of Spy Party. So Spy Party is a 1v1 uh, game in which one person plays as a spy at a party and one person plays as a sniper. The goal of the sniper is to figure out which person at the party is the other player. Kill them. The spy is trying to blend in by looking like an NPC, by looking like a computer, while trying to do... Uh, these objectives like switch a statue or place a bug on this character and uh, that's really the whole game but watching like uh, people play this competitively is like super wild it is it is such a cool neat little game uh, that took a long time in development I think it was actually just uh, the passion project of one guy and I, and for some reason I think that this one guy Worked on The Sims because all of these models look like they were ripped straight out of The Sims. They kind of do now that you're saying that. Another game that came out in April that is sort of a game that I've been thinking about playing but haven't gotten around to it is Minute. What is that? So Minute is a game where uh, essentially you play the game in one minute lives. So you you it's like a $6 game on Steam, but essentially it is... You spawn and you have one minute, and in that minute, you're after a minute, you expire. So in that minute, though, if you get an item, you keep it onto your next life. So you go out and you get a sword, and then once you die, the next time you spawn, you have that sword. So because you have the sword, you're then able to do something new, something different, go in a different direction, where you might get another item. But... Everything essentially just happens in a minute, and that's sort of like the whole concept of the game. And it sort of like has a has a look of like a Link's Awakening. Okay. But a little bit more cartoony. So a- another game that came out in April was uh, God of War. Oh, yeah. Which I mentioned only because everyone is talking about it right now. Did it? Did they come out with another, like, like a DLC or something? It, it's winning game of the year. Like, oh, at a lot of places. Uh, it won at the uh, what was that that big event? The the gamies, the gamies. I'm surprised it would win over Red Dead, but see, a lot of people are having this argument about like uh, gameplay versus uh, like I guess technical achievement, and I think a lot of people are picking God of War because it's the better playing of the two, even though people you know agree that. Red Dead is a better produced game. Okay. I, I mean, I haven't played it's either, so I, I shouldn't really have a, a horse in that race, but... But, uh, I don't know. You know, I've been thinking about... But, like, I, I guess I kind of want to... I, I, I just have curiosity about it. Like, is it really... Uh, like, I don't want to say, is it really that good, but is it really that good? I think so. Gotta I think it, it definitely released to those kind of reviews of, like... It, and it, it did a similar thing that to uh, then that Red Dead kind of did, where 
uh, I remember people saying like, you know, you would see a mountain in the distance and it, you wouldn't just fast travel. You, you really felt like it took the time to get there, that you would be, you know, rowing a boat and traveling through woods and all this kind of stuff. And that it actually felt like the world was large. And uh, that is like kind of so it seems kind of similar in, in a way like that. It's kind of trying to immerse you, trying to take away uh, some of the video game shortcuts uh, and make you have to just deal with the world. Yeah, so I I regularly ignore games strictly because they release on PS4. Uh, but if I were getting away from that habit, I think that God of War would be one of the reasons why. At least that's in terms of new things. I mean, Red Dead is still definitely worth playing. I enjoyed my time with Red Dead Redemption 2 a lot before Path of Exile came out. And then that's pretty much my whole life right now. But... I'm not talking about right now. I'm talking about May of 2018, where Detroit Become Human came out, and n- neither of us played that. So, Wizard of Legend came out. Did you get the chance to play this one? I played a decent amount of this, and I thought it was pretty good. Uh, Wizard of Legend plays extremely well. It's a really fast-paced game. Uh, you are like a wizard that uh, that is going for a... I think like it's like you're in like an academy or something and you're trying to do these kind of like roguelike runs through these these trials uh, to prove yourself. Um, the the really cool thing about it is that you have like I think like four abilities basically and you're getting to like slot them in and you'll have like a basic attack, a like a special attack, a like ultimate attack or like basic attacks, two special attacks and an ultimate attack or something like that if I remember correctly. Um, but the... Yeah. The, the really cool thing is that, uh, you know, you're building out your, uh, like, the way that your your wizard fights, um, like, from just, like, basic attack is, like, do you want to uh, make big rock fists and punch people slowly, or do you want to have ice, like, ice that, like, shoots from your hands, like an airbender or, like, a waterbender, I mean, um, or, like, fire spurts and stuff like that, uh, but there's tons, there's a ridiculous amount of spells. And the game just, it has an, an excellent gameplay. It's one of those, like, super free-flowy, like, you're dashing really fast and attacking. Um, feels great. I think the biggest issue, or, like, one of the things that I would fall off is that I think that there are, to to beat, like, the game from what I, kn- from what I know, um, there are, you have to go through in one life uh, four dungeons that are uh, getting steadily harder. And, of course, roguelike, you're not really, like, getting your health back in between these fights, uh, so you're just trying to make do with what you're getting. Um, But there is a dungeon for four different elements, and the game rotates them. So if you've played a bunch of times, even if you're not winning, the, if you're even if you're not having getting to the end of them, uh, you're basically seeing everything. Because like yeah. there's like a rock dungeon, a fire dungeon, like a water dungeon, and like a wind dungeon or something like that. And uh, every time the game, you start a new uh, play. Uh, the game randomizes the dungeons in order. So just by playing for like 10, 15 hours, I saw like I beat individually beat every single dungeon, but never all together. Um, and I just got to the point where yeah. I was like, I just don't feel like there's a lot of for for as crazy as the the combat system is. I don't feel like the uh, like the rest of the game is as is as deep. Like I, I would have wanted like more. Uh, more tile, more tile space, yeah, more, more tile sets, right, and more, I, I more also enemies. I want there to be something to to feel like I should be pushing for. Yeah, it doesn't feel like 
like I, like to get to the end of it just to hear like you won and you 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 bested the trial uh, is not quite as rewarding as seeing the next big thing, like seeing the next tile set or the next boss. Um, and you don't really do that because you're you, the, like I said, it's all randomized. So you're you'll pretty much see all the bosses and all the tile sets pretty quickly. Yeah, it's not like Enter the Gungeon, which will which we'll get to that uh, sort of has all that stuff at the end for you. You actually feel like you're rewarded for pushing through the game because you're going to see uh, tons of content that you haven't seen before. And I, I think more importantly for people who play these types of games, you're going to have the chance to unlock crazy equipment that's going to help you uh, push through to those even harder and crazier levels and modifiers later on. Uh, so that is not all that released in May. Another game that released in May, uh, a game that we both played and that I think we both enjoyed quite a bit is Moonlighter. Yeah, I, Moonlighter also came out for Switch and that really? is... Really? Yeah, I didn't tell you that. Switch is killing it. Um, Moonlighter Did also you know came that? out for Switch and uh, I, I do kind of want to get it, like especially after I fall off of Smash because... Moonlighter is something where I I never stopped playing it because I didn't like it. I really, truly loved every moment of that game, and it just kept getting better, and I was liking it more and more. Um, but Moonlighter is, is interesting. It has really a fantastic art. Uh, it yeah, is like you pixel. know they just released a holiday update like a couple days ago. Yeah, it is like pixely art, but it's not. It's like those that more like highly animated, detailed pixel yeah. art. Um, but Chunky is, pixels. Is that, what they, is that what they call it? Um, that's but, what I call it. Uh, I, I mean, that's what I just called Celeste, and that's more. That's actually pixel art. Like this is like the more animated, well animated pixel yeah, art. This doesn't have like uh, this doesn't have uh, outlines on it. Like there's no uh, black lines. Yeah. I don't know. It's you guys uh, have a computer. Look, look it up. You know what it looks like. Yeah, it's fantastic, but uh, it, it looks good. Uh, so the idea of it is that uh, you run a shop called the moonlighter and you basically go into dungeons you moonlight as an adventurer and you go into dungeons and then the stuff you're getting there uh in the dungeons are like weapons and you know sales stuff and the you know the whole kind of like thrust of what makes it different is that instead of just going to like an npc and just selling stuff there's this whole mini game of like uh, pricing out your, the items you're selling, uh, selling them the right way, improving your shop, and all this stuff, and and you're kind of putting the money back into the town as well to bring more industry back to your town. So it's really cool. You gotta watch out for those thieves. Yeah, you gotta watch out for the thieves. It's a really cool, cr- clever game. I really like Moonlighter. Uh, May also saw the release of Cultist Simulator. That's a James which game. Is is a game that I love to talk about, but I have a very hard time explaining. But essentially, it is a management game where... uh, Where do I even start with this? So at the game, you're looking at this tabletop, and on the tabletop, there are all of these uh, different verbs. Like, there will be a verb for, like, work and study and uh, explore and talk. And then you have all of these cards across the table. So you have a card for health. And if you put health into work, then you will do manual labor. If you take health and you put it into explore, uh, then you will walk around the city. Another way that you could do it is you could, uh, let's say that you 
have um, passion or something. You could put passion into your work and then you could essentially paint or you could take passion and put it into um, sleep and then you would have lucid dreams. Interesting. So the thing that gets weird about this game is uh, there are things where you could combine different cards together and new types of, uh, you know, things will happen. Um, and, and it's a little bit weird to talk about because at, at this, as much as I want to talk about this game, I, I don't want to say too much because I think that this is also the time of year where where you could make the argument, oh, people had all year to play it. But I think that this is also the time of year that people are trying to figure out what is it that they missed. And it's very easy to look at some screenshots of Cultist Simulator and think that, you know, maybe it's it's not for you. Maybe it's not what you would expect out of this. But this is a game that really captures a sort of aesthetic and a sort of mindset. And it is so bizarre and weird and cool and well-written and, and clever for, for what it is, especially that, that I think that it is definitely a game that deserves your time. And it is also like a super sort of chill and relaxing game because things sort of happen at the pace that you let them. And uh, it's a game that makes you feel smart when you do something right. And uh, it, it's just cool to have games like that. And also for as a, you know, I, I, I think that the Lovecraftian aesthetic for as many board games as there are about it, there are very few uh, video games that actually tackle that subject matter, surprisingly. Or, uh, and I or think just that this do is... it well, you know, and don't just make it into like a shooting game. Yeah, so I think that this is definitely one of them that, that does it well. And it's also probably a game that is not like anything else that you're playing or maybe something that is not like anything else that you have played. And that is Cultist Simulator, and that is the month of May. You know, in June, Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle came out, which should have been my favorite fighting game. Yeah. It should have been. But the online situation was pretty bad. And, yeah. And the worst thing about that game is that nobody was playing it. We re- it really is wild, because uh, we say this all the time with fighting games, but I think this year was a, was a very exemplary of this. Um Every fighting game has massive problems with it. I don't understand why no one can just release a fighting game that makes sense and is complete from a feature set and, you know, has good online, like, netcode and everything like that. Uh, I just don't understand this. It's it's so difficult, apparently, to release a proper fighting game. Um, So here's another game where, like, Great concept. Uh, it's a mashup of like Blaze Blue, Ruby, the anime for some reason, um, uh, Persona, Persona, and uh, Mark of the Wolves. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Or what's it? In, in birth or in night or whatever. Uniel. Uniel. Yeah. yeah. Undernight in Undernight in whatever whatever. Uh, yeah, uh, but uh, they had so a really fun cast of characters. A really fun cast of characters, um, especially since uh, you know uh, one thing that Blaze Blue does really well is is uh, have characters that are so unique that they don't remotely work like the other characters. Um, and I feel like this game overall, because it has 
that kind of same uh those same designers like arxis is like the same team that works on blaze blue working on it uh and persona is also like a blaze blue game as well um so they they kind of they they made this this awesome set of characters and this awesome roster and some really creative concepts like uh being able to uh pull in people for different attacks and kind of like chain together these wonky amazing combos and so much of it was kind of cool and creative and they hit with uh you know dlc characters pretty quickly afterwards and everything so far should sound pretty good they have a pretty decent tutorial cast yeah it's a big cast it came out at uh i think like 50 bucks had a decent tutorial and all this on this kind of stuff and everything sounds great but uh the killer for me was and like this was like a log off and never log on again moment uh was that after i had practiced so much i was kind of feeling like now i'm ready now i want to actually uh play but i don't want to play anything ranked i want to just play some casual matches i want to i want to practice the stuff that i'm learning and you can't like one thing that's important should be being able to queue up for matches in in training and i don't know if they've fixed this since then but not only were you not able to do that but you couldn't queue up for matches you had to go like to a lobby where you were a physical avatar on the lobby that would move around and then try to find someone that's not actively fighting that also has a good connection with you and then like ask them to fight I, that's just to me that's just so much that to me yeah, that's just I don't like even way want too to much talk about it it's gonna give me a headache but this should have been my favorite fighting game and, and i think that that's that's such a bummer i just I, I, I just want why can't somebody make a fighting game for me i i just don't understand the 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 the, the concept behind this i just don't understand a developer saying like we have all this good stuff we worked really hard on this fighting game but they never thought about how frustrating it would be to be walking around in these lobbies. I don't think that it's good that Dragon Ball Fighters does that either. Uh, and it's so really immersive. frustrating that that they're moving towards this as as like Arxis, like one of their things is we want to have physical lobbies that you move around. I think it's cute. I like it. I, I, I don't I don't hate the concept outright at all. I just hate the idea that everything should also be menu driven. I should be able to do anything that I would be able to do in the lobbies through a menu, just be able to press a button and say, like, get me into a match. I, I can't believe yeah. that you can't do that. You can do that in Dragon what Ball Fighters, world. actually. That's what keeps that alive for me. But in Dragon Ball Fighters, well, you, know you are allowed to queue up for matches and you can train while you're queuing for matches. So that's kind of what re- uh, remedies that for me. But with, with Blaze Blue Cross Tag, uh, you cannot do that. If you have, like, a friend who lives nearby, who's into fighting games, who you can get to play this game. Like if I had that, if I had somebody who I could regularly just like play with and who was around like all the time, then I'd probably be playing this game because I, at least from like a, from like a tag game, which is something that I usually don't like. I usually don't like tag games, but like it's probably my favorite tag fighter. Uh, and that that's worth something, I guess, but whatever. July. La Mulana 2 came out in July. La Mulana 2, uh, if I had more patience uh, and more time, La Mulana 2 would probably be uh, my favorite game of the year. But I do not have that much patience, and I don't have as much time as I'd like either. Uh, So instead, La Mulana 2 is just a really, really great game that I admire from afar. Uh, 
if you're familiar with the first law, Mulana, uh, it was a really challenging, tough as nails, sort of a Metroidvania, where you're exploring this crypt, Indiana Jones style, and uh, very heavy on the puzzles, and like some very obtuse puzzles. Uh, La Mulana 2 has more intuitive, smarter puzzles that are uh, that you don't have to look up online to figure out. Uh, it, it's I feel like this game is more in, in the vein of being tough but fair, uh, but at the same time, it, it is sort of also, in addition to being a, a puzzle game, it is sort of a detective game where you sort of have all of these clues and you have all of this information and you need to use that information to figure out how you're going to navigate this space. Uh, however, La Milana 2 is also a very like old school uh, 2D game that's sort of like uh, Castlevania, but uh, they, they really adhere to this sort of like old school style. So like the jumping sort of feels weird where there's like no air control where you jump. So after you start jumping, you can't then maneuver in air. So it, it sort of takes some getting used to, but it, it has such a cool aesthetic and interface. Uh, they, they do sort of this like retro future style where you, you sort of like have access to like these different electronic devices. You have like this computer and you can put in different modules into it that give you like different HUD elements or interface elements, uh, but they take up different levels of RAM in your computer. Uh, so people with like Nier would be familiar with this sort of style, um, but it does some really neat things. And uh, like I said, if I had more time with it and more patience for it, it would probably be my game of the year. Another thing that came out in July was Enter the Gungeon, uh, Advanced Gungeons and Dragons, which is an expansion. So maybe not fair. I think it's discuss, fair. I'm I'm but, I'm, but I'm is, over that. But this is our podcast. Yeah, we, I'm we I'm completely over that. Uh, so betrayal Gungeon, is a betrayal is a is something that comes out. Path of Exile betrayal. Oh, that's that's a that's a launch. It's it's in my list. Uh, but you know, I'm 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 gonna roll Path of Exile together. There were what three Path of Exile leagues released this uh, year with Incursion, then Delve, and then Betrayal. But we'll we'll roll that all into Betrayal. Uh, but Enter the Gungeon, Advanced Gungeons of Dragons. This is probably my favorite roguelite. Uh, I have 120 hours total of Enter the Gungeon, and I haven't done everything for it, which uh, I, I don't know if that speaks not only to the level of content in the game, but also to my ineptitude as a player. But but it's it's really good. So I know the Gungeon actually came out in 2016. So uh, if you haven't heard of it, it is a roguelite uh, sort of bullet hell shooter that has hundreds and hundreds of different weapons, different playable classes, uh, and lots of gun-themed puns. Lots of them. Because you're not going through a dungeon, you're going through a gungeon. And there is a gun that is a bullet, and the bullet shoots out guns, which shoots out bullets that hit bullets that are wielding guns. Yeah. Uh, and this is the last update they're doing, so they uh, actually announced that uh, they had planned more content for Enter the Gungeon, but they also have a lot of technical debt in this game. So technical debt is essentially... When you're working on a, on a sort of older game uh, and you've been working on it for a while, 
you become a better developer, right? So as you've been putting things into the game over the years, you start to realize all of these problems with how you initially built things out. And as you built more and more iteratively on top of the same sort of uh, piece of software without without sort of uh, rebuilding the engine, you accrue a lot of technical debt. And, and technical debt is one of the reasons why they didn't want to proceed uh, building out the game. They want to move on to something new, and I'm really excited to see uh, what comes next out of this studio. Uh, so you played a bit of this game. Uh, how did you feel about Enter the Gungeon? I didn't give uh, as much also... of a chance the second, like with this release, um, <laughs> just because I had feel like I felt like I had played it a lot, and then uh, I think I put in a little bit of time on this patch, but I didn't get anything. Like I, I think I put in such a minuscule amount of time to not say that like I like I didn't get anything really crazy. But um, it's a yeah, it's a great game. It's one of the better roguelikes that have ever been made. I feel like it's really fun to play, which is really important for a roguelike. Uh, it's something that I think some roguelikes just completely fail at is just actually being fun to play. So you're playing for it more for the fun than rather than the the roguelike elements. Uh, but when we discussed this game, yeah, like two years ago, one of your initial issues with it was that uh, you didn't feel like you were being rewarded enough and seeing a lot of those crazy synergies. Yeah, but I think that this uh, iteration of the game sort of improved that because. Uh, you get more drops now, and uh, if you have a weapon, you're more likely to come across a weapon that uh, synergizes with it. Okay. And I think that that's a, a pretty fun and and cool thing. Uh, August was a good game for was a good month for games rather. In August, Dead Cells came out. Yeah, that's enough to make August great, right? I think so. Dead Cells was really good. Dead Cells, I, I um, I, I was so ridiculously excited with it. I, I played a little bit of it in, uh, beta, I guess, and had immediately wanted to close it out and just say wait for the whole thing because I was afraid of Darkest Dungeons disease. Um, and I, when it first came out officially, I don't know if I liked it that much. But then I ended up putting a ton of time into the Switch version of it, like a ton of time. Um, so that, yeah, that game is great. That game does get really wild. That game. Yeah. So it is, uh, similar to enter the gungeon just plays really well, which it plays is like extremely well. For... I think that's the thing that, I think that's the thing that it kind of holds its hat. Like it, uh, it, what is it even the, the phrasing hangs its, hat on. hangs its hat on is like, it is the, it is probably the premier, uh, roguelike for, you know, it's play style. Like it, it is just absolutely some of the most smoothest you can, uh, oh, like a uh, side scrolling platformer that I have ever played. Uh, animation wise, it's, it, it animates extremely well. And because of uh, the, 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 the game is very generous with stuff like your, your role invincibility. So it's a kind of a game where, where I, I've, I, I remember, I forgot what review I was reading that said that like, you pretty quickly get the feeling that like if you did everything well you'd basically be invincible and kind of chasing that skill is is a whole nother element to this game um and then you have all the roguelike elements all the uh as you're going you're getting uh you're, you're getting these cells and you're using them to uh buy 
uh, like on the, these blueprints, uh, or you you get the, you find these blueprints on the ground as well, uh, and you're 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 putting cells into them, and once you put enough, it'll basically inc- uh, drop this thing, uh, a new weapon, and add it to the pool of weapons you could find. So yeah, uh, yeah. and this is a game that definitely borrows some things from Dead from Dark Souls, if if you don't get that from the title, but. Uh, you know, as you're running through the level, collecting these cells, if you uh, don't make it through to the to the checkpoint, then you lose those cells. Yeah, but you can't pick them up again. Can't pick them up again. You just don't have that ability yet. Just don't have it yet. Uh, August also saw the release of Donut County, uh, which also got some mainstream uh, sort of uh, popularity because it was released on uh, phones and tablets and things like that. Uh, but it is sort of, um, it's got, it's by Ben Esposito. It's got a really great soundtrack and it plays a lot like uh, Katamari. Uh, so essentially this is a game where you play as a hole. And as you move the hole around, uh, you pick up objects and the hole gets bigger. And then you could pick up bigger and bigger things. That's the whole game. The, the whole, whole game. game. Uh, but it's really neat. It's very cute. There's a bit of a story to it. And uh, it's worth playing for the soundtrack alone, uh, but it's really short, probably just about two hours of gameplay. Uh, but, you know, two hours of gameplay at like 10 bucks, if those are two great hours of gameplay, and this is something that you could uh, you could play with That's anybody. That's a movie right there, right? You could play this with somebody who doesn't play games. You could enjoy it together. Uh, it's really great. It's neat. Um Man, I, you know, I, I, I sort of hate it when people just say, man, that game's great, but that's that's what this podcast is for right now. Yeah. And sometimes it's for discussing games that are just okay, like uh, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate. Um, I thought you would say this is which better is, than just okay. It's hard to release a Monster Hunter game after Monster Hunter World came out, right? I, I would have uh, said so. And I love Monster Hunter Generations. I love Monster Hunter 4. But it's really hard to go back to that old style of Monster Hunter after after Monster Hunter World. Some people might think that Monster Hunter World um, streamlined a lot of a lot of elements of Monster Hunter, but but it did so much more than that, right? They, they didn't oversimplify anything. They they just made a lot of systems better. Some people might say that the uh, that the armor system is simpler, but I think that it's just better. It's more intuitive in Monster Hunter World. Old Monster Hunter games had this uh, situation where um, a piece of armor might grant you, like, it would say, like, defense plus three. But what it actually meant is that it was giving you three points into the defense perk, which would be activated when you got ten points of it. That is awkward it feels yeah it's also yeah it's it. confusing to to explain it's it's something that you would go through a lot of the game and not understand that that's how that's working that you're not actually getting these perks so but the thing about monster hunter generations ultimate is it is the uh comprehensive uh experience of everything monster hunter that happened before monster hunter world so this is the best monster hunter game pre-monster hunter world which is unfortunately not good enough monster hunter generations was i think my game of the year for 2016 uh if it wasn't breath of the wild or something um it wasn't 
Breath of the Wild was mine. But but after Monster Hunter World, it's hard to have uh, the same amount of praise uh, for for its predecessors. Yeah, it was weird for me to go back to it because I, I kind of had played a lot of Monster Hunter games and I bounced off of them. And with Monster Hunter World, I, I really just loved the the entire experience. And I think that it's it, it's kind of sad because I wonder how the, the hardcore Monster Hunter uh group finds this kind of things because i know i know that they they do say that recommend people going back to play you know generations uh ultimate and everything um but there's there's certain things that just going back i i can never accept them as good and there's and it just it's too many little things it's kind of like a death by a thousand cuts where where i appreciate the the game and how many monsters are in it as compared to monster hunter uh world but I don't appreciate stuff like, I don't know, paintballs are stupid. It's a dumb mechanic. Uh, it's really annoying to throw them. Uh, you, the the controls on it is bad are bad. And if you don't paintball a monster or if the paintball runs out uh, and then they leave the area, uh, then you just have to kind of wander around and find them. And in Monster Hunter World, you have something called scout flies. And basically, as you're researching this monster, once you find them, you'll have uh, a trail of flies that that leads you to a, a trail of like basically uh like lightning bugs that uh leads you to where the monster is it's just it, it it's little stuff like that like i don't think that it makes the game better uh to have this additional system that punishes you uh i could i could maybe imagine some people saying like monster hunter world is too simplified because of these kind of systems but for me but why but feels more like a hunting game somehow yeah, yeah for for me it systems. feels like with world i spend more time like tracking down the monster fighting the monster and doing the stuff that i like about the series rather and than also like engaging with like the environment and and seeing cool shit happen like monsters yeah. fighting with each other or activating like these environmental traps where you like drop boulders on them but yeah, whereas generations, in, in yeah. generations, you might spend time like I, I don't think there's anything good about going from load screen to load screen, going to the different parts of the map and trying to find where the monster is. And then you finally find them after five minutes and they're going into the next screen over and you realize you just went there too late and they've been moving and just stuff like that is just it's just, it's not a good thing. I don't think that I don't I can never say that that's a good thing. Yeah, but. They they had like the best set of like uh, gear weapons. They they had like the the slickest end game. The thing that I dislike the most about old Monster Hunters is just that they don't make it as friendly to solo everything. Uh, in Monster Hunter World, everything like kind of scales to player level. So any quest that is uh, for solo is also for multiplayer. Um, but in older Monster Hunters, there are two very distinct like areas of the game where this one is always scaled for solo and this one is always scaled for multiplayer. It's kind of a bummer. I just want to do everything myself. And especially like Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate is on the Switch and I don't want to be partying up with people on the Switch, which is something that I'm busting out like, you know, anytime I, I catch a moment. I'm not going to be like, going online to do a 30 minute monster hunter quest. Yeah. I just want to open it up, 
uh, fight a monster, maybe get like even halfway through, put it into sleep mode, come back to it, keep fighting that monster, but they don't make it that easy. But that's August. In September, CrossCode came out. Uh, so CrossCode is a really slick, uh, sort of Link to the Past style dungeon crawler with really difficult puzzles. Um, but I actually think that CrossCode is possibly the best looking game that came out this year. Is that crazy to say? I guess it depends on, so, yeah, like uh, like there, the, there's, there's an artistry and then there's realistic and... There's different aesthetics. People could, I could, I could imagine yeah, people saying so, that. So I, I guess you know where I come from. Link to the Past is one of my favorite games. Uh, another one of my favorite games on Super Nintendo was The Illusion of Gaia, which is actually an old Square game. Um, and Crosscode kind of reminds me of these games, but it also has uh, some really neat combat mechanics. It plays very fast. It plays sort of similar to more like a Diablo game, uh, but without the clicking, but where you like have access to all of these different spells uh, at once, and you have like different cooldowns that are running, and uh, you have dodges and, and uh, blocking mechanics on like a perfect parrying mechanics, where if you time it just right, you get a parry. Uh, and it's really cool. One of my favorite things about it is the way that they handle uh, combat combos, where... Uh, as you go through the game, you're killing enemies to get materials. Um, but essentially, if you kill multiple enemies together, you can keep up a combo string. And as you do the combo strings, uh, the amount of enemies that you kill increases your likelihood of getting rarer and better drops from those enemies. Uh, but there's sort of a push and pull to this mechanic because your health bar regenerates based on um, the combo. So as soon as the uh, monster combo ends, your health regenerates to max. And this solves a couple of different things for me. First off, there is a risk versus reward of continuing the sort of cadence through combat. And also, uh, longtime listeners of the show might know that I hate healing items in games. I just hate them. I hate any game where you can stack up healing items and sort of just like have this stockpile of them and then like heal throughout the game, especially in RPGs. Uh, this is something that I hate in, in things like, uh, even in like Octopath Traveler, which I forgot to put on this list, by the way. Whoops. Did it come out this year? Did it come out this year? Traveler must have come out sometime this year, right? Uh, but one of the things I hate about it is, and this is another thing that I, this is another reason why I hate Pokemon, is I hate these sort of time, uh, sort of uh, turn-based games where they want you to stockpile up lots of like healing items and mana restore items, and then like always be aware of, okay, so before the next fight, I have to make sure that I, uh, you know, use all my mana items or. I'm going to have to go back to town because I took too much damage and then come back. I, I hate those mechanics in games. They feel unnecessarily fiddly for no reason. Uh, it doesn't feel good to be like, oh, good thing I remembered to buy a hundred ethers before proceeding into this dungeon. Yeah. It's it's bad, right? It's bad gameplay design. Uh, it's just antiquated, it's right? That, like it's an old thing that... It that, that, that 
it's something that we've seen everyone get away from in different ways like with like shooters used to have uh like you would find health on the ground and then most of them move move to like this call of duty style where instead of finding health packs on the ground you just regenerate it over time and i think that solved a lot of problems and i think that it would be the same the same kind of thing needs to happen to jrpgs and i think crosscode like is a good example of how you would solve that the crazy thing is they've already figured this out right even bravely default i think Correct me if I'm wrong, but Bravely Default had this right, where I think that you regenerated your health at the beginning of every battle. Is that true? I th- I, I think that there were items for, for health true. regen. I don't know if that was just you use them during... I don't know. That's a good question. So we forgot to bring up this part about uh, Octopath, though, but those fights could end up being like a half hour long for like trash monsters. And that's yeah. kind of wild. Yeah. Did we... I mean, The we game did... is unnecessarily long. Yeah. Um, Crosscode's great, though. Yeah, we're not talking about Octopath. It's fine that it didn't make it on here, because I don't think anyone else... If you've listened to the show enough, you have heard me in on one episode in some way or another rant about JRPGs, and uh, Octopath does nothing different. Absolutely nothing different. Don't waste your time. Uh, that's not the only game that came out in September, though, because there was an expansion that came out in December, and we in September and we discuss expansions on this podcast because some expansions are big enough to matter like destiny Two forsaken. Well, I think not. I, I think that, that not discussing expansions is similarly antiquated, like move, get move on. But that's the culture now. That's what the, that's what the young kids do is they just, they, we're in the, yeah, you're in a society of gas games as a service. Yeah. I, I think that it's uh, I, I think it's really silly not to just say that an expansion would I, I, I don't understand how you I, I would have a hard time understanding an argument that betrayal doesn't count as like that some of the Path of Exile expansions don't count as a release as something that you could put on a list and say that betrayal Path of Exile betrayal launched this year because it did and it was a big deal so and I, so was Forsaken right Yes, yeah. For, right? well, Forsaken is right? massive. Forsaken is like a 180, right? Forsaken is like, uh, but I feel weird complimenting anything coming out of like this Activision Blizzard conglomerate right now. Yeah. But Forsaken was pretty good, right? But at the same time, I didn't play like the newest Destiny expansion. They released another expansion. Well, it was a mini expansion. After. It wasn't a real expansion it was, yet. It was like a mini expansion, yeah. but Forsaken was good. Uh, Forsaken fixed everything wrong. Well, Honestly, a few things were wrong with Destiny 2, and it took them multiple patches to get them figured out, right? Yeah. So one of the most important patches that happened for Destiny 2 was the Go Fast update, where they sort of made the game... When we first played Destiny, one of the things that we both fell in love with was the PvP. Yeah. We liked the idea of going through the through the single player, unlocking cool shit, bringing it into PvP, and killing people with it. Uh, in Destiny 2, uh, there were, you know, we played the first year, there were ex- exotics were super common. So it was kind of cool. Oh, man, we have all these cool exotics to go into uh, the PvP mode with, except for two things. All the exotics were really boring, and the PvP sucked. It was yeah. really bad. It was super slow. Uh, it was all based on team shooting. Um, there were only, it was 4v4 instead of 6v6. 
Um, there weren't like a lot of ammunition for special weapons. So it was pretty much just like people shooting one another with like pulse rifles uh, and whoever had more people shooting at the other people won. But Forsaken fixed that, right? Uh-huh. Uh, Forsaken and all these additive updates because uh, they made exotics feel more unique. Uh, they certainly made exotics feel a lot more rare. Um, and they released some cool new modes like the, what do they call it? Gambit? It's not incursion. It's a gambit, which is sort of a PVE slash PVE, PVE PVP mode. Yeah, it's a phenomenal mode. It's a really like outstanding addition to Destiny. Um, It's also, it's interesting because Destiny now has PVE, PVP, and then this kind of midway cross mode between it where you're doing destiny a, cross tag yeah where you're doing a uh, a pve experience that has people invading like pvp and kind of like dark souls which just just mention dark souls in in any context uh all the time related to anything um because it fits uh but but you for a second in, for, for a second was excellent players uh for a second is excellent uh did a really good job i think that the issues though with destiny are like forsaken is what destiny 2 should have been the entire time so it took them this long to do it and they they did the whole uh destiny arc again where they release a game that has all these problems and they kind of take a year or so to fix it uh and but hey if you're a patient gamer yeah it's weird though it's weird though because they had fixed all these problems and then they created new problems for themselves and then they realized oh let's just go back to the old way and then they just did that like it's like I, I don't I just don't get it. You guys were already there, so you you took a year to get back to what you were already at. I just oh man. Uh yeah, but but whatever. Destiny's good now. Uh, I haven't played the Black Armory, and I haven't followed it. I feel like I should probably log in, uh, because it's like Christmas weekend, right? So they should have like. Zer should have some really good stuff, right? Oh, he was let's doing something. They were doing something like you baked Zer cookies or something like that. Let's see. Let's see what Zer has this week. Hold on. The Zer. This is how you podcast right here, guys. Uh, this is guys important. You got to know. Take a, right? take a listen. Take a listen. Zer Megathread the past week. Uh, Zer is carrying the Merciless Energy Fusion Rifle. Okay, that's old. The Knucklehead Radar. Okay, that's really old. Because that was a Destiny the Aeon, one. I the Aeon Safe Titan Gauntlets, which are also which are Forsaken, and then the Apotheosis Veil. Oh, that's that's mad old. That's Destiny one, and very ugly actually. Oh, uh, still a disappointment, right? Yeah. Uh, but whatever. Zer is an asshole. But Destiny two is all right. We've got plenty more games to go. Though. I guess he gave everyone coal. So October Soul Caliber six. I like Soul Caliber six. It's Best pretty Soul good. Caliber. Right? It's pretty good. Uh, I, I, it probably is one of the best Soul Calibers. I think they did a good job with it overall, but like a lot of other fighting games, they made some mistakes, and it's kind of dumb. You could play as 2B. Uh, yeah, they, they've recently added that. I'm surprised that it didn't have more hype about that. Like, I'm surprised that... I, I, I logged into Steam and then got that update, and I was confused. Like, wait, hold on. Is this the 2B patch? And uh, I'm kind of surprised that I didn't that I, I wasn't, that wasn't force fed to me, that that wasn't just knowledge that everyone was all saying, we're going to play soul caliber now just so we can play as our, our waifu Android to be just that there's too much game out right now. Yeah. Soul caliber is a weird spot. 
Uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 came out in October. That was a pretty good Call of Duty game. Uh, I, I like the blackout mode in that game, which is sort of their answer to uh, Battle Royale. Yeah. Um, but this is also the thing where they released it. Uh, they kind of did something shady, and they released it at a, a much slower uptick. Was it like it went from like 60? Did you say it was like 60 in beta, and it went to 20 on live servers? Oh yeah, sixty hertz, and then they released it at twenty hertz, and then they—that's absolutely insane. Iteratively increased it. Once people started talking about the hertz, uh, a week later they fixed it. They were like, "Yeah, uh, you know, day one, uh, first week, too many oh, you people wouldn't lowered the refresh rate." Yeah, Whoops. sure. But it was pretty good. I one of the things that I I've mentioned in the past is you know. Uh, this is the year of Fortnite for a lot of people, and this is also the year of Fortnite for mainstream culture. And I played a lot of this Fortnite, Fortnite this Monopoly. Year. I probably played, I probably played like fifty or sixty hours of Fortnite this year, and I like Fortnite quite a bit. I think Fortnite is a pretty damn game, good game. And if you like Fortnite, then you are probably really satisfied with the amount of content and attention and love that that game gets from Epic. The thing that I can't get behind though is. I'm too old for it. I can't build that fast. I can't be building and shooting, and it's just too many things to think about. Yeah, and also you, know, the, you can't you up. can't be able to practice the way these kids do. They're practicing in their schools. Then they go home yeah. and they practice all day, and then they go back to school and they practice. You can't ever be able to do this. They don't work. Yeah, so I they do it on their phones. You'll never be able to keep the up. The thing is, I've been shooting in video games for decades. I've been shooting for decades, so. Blackout mode in Call of Duty is way better for me. PUBG is too janky. And Fortnite is too complicated. So so Blackout in Call of Duty is probably the best Battle Royale mode there is. Which is, uh, I don't know that it has too much competition. But, it, but it's the best there is. Uh, it plays like Call of Duty. It's fast. It's fun. Uh, I, I'm not a crazy about the operators. So... Uh, back when Overwatch was becoming a thing, Call of Duty introduced these operators, and the operators are sort of like a kit that's built in, right? So one guy will have like a grappling hook, and one guy will have a drone. And the reason why I don't like this is I feel like it takes away uh, some of the fun parts of Call of Duty of building your own class and putting your own class together, of like creating your weapon, like putting, like doing the challenges for the weapon, where it's like, oh, get ten grenade kills. Uh, with this weapon equipped, and then you unlock like the uh, the undermounted grenade launcher or whatever. Yeah, I don't know if Call of or, Duty ever um, needed to be the game to be a hero-based shooter. Yeah, and, and I like the idea of like you're leveling up and you're getting the perks, and the perks are defining your character. I don't like the idea of my character being defined by me choosing this person at the start of the game. If I wanted to choose uh, who to play as at the start of the game, I'd be playing Quake Champions which is a great game that also was picking up steam this year. I don't know if it was released this year, but I feel like we should give a give a nice nod to Quake Champions as being like a, an awesome Quake game, an awesome arena shooter, which is something we don't have any of in, in the public consciousness at this time, except for Quake Champions maybe. And that is a fantastic game. Call of Duty Black Ops 4, not the best Call of Duty game I've ever played because I really miss... Uh, the old school non-hero shootery style of it, 
I will say also though I got back into Overwatch this year. Yeah. And if I'm gonna play, I was playing Overwatch shooter, earlier today with Galloway. Play Overwatch. Thank you, Ryan Galloway, Overwatch crying so for the fun. use of your music. We use the intro and outro revive off the new album Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Run Forever Bandcamp. But I'm sorry to announce that uh, crying is no more. I didn't know that. Now is you that know. New? And if you don't now know, then now you know. Yeah. Galloway's off to do his other things. Like but we're still gonna keep project? using their music. I'll still keep loving that crying music. Like a solo you can project. Still buy it. Um, no, I think he's, he's just start starting a new, like, instrumental group or something last, but I, I played, cool. uh, I played, uh, Overwatch with him today. Poorly. I played poorly, but. Uh, Red Dead Redemption came out in October. I don't have to say too much about Red Dead Redemption, right? Because everyone's been talking about that. Yeah, this, it's new. Also, that. when we get to the later part of the year, it also feels like we can speed things up just because, like, you, we've just been talking about some of these things already. Like it's we would, Return it would of be the so- Obra Dinn came yeah. out in October. That's one of the best games of the year. Uh, that was made by the guy who made Papers, Please. And it is a game where you play as an insurance man and you go onto a boat where a bunch of people died. And then you are exploring the causes of those people's death and figuring out who they are and why they died. And the game gets very weird, very quick and... Uh, it is one of the few games, I don't say this about a lot of games, but Return of the Obra Dinn is one of the few games that everybody should play. If you like video games at all, you should play the Return of the Obra Dinn. I gotta play it. Because it is it is that likable. It is that aesthetically cool. It has, for, for as little music as it has, the audio cues, the music, and the just like absolute absurdity the scenes that you will see the less you know about this game ryan if you don't know anything about this game then then the that is all the more reason to play it it is so good and uh it doesn't take up a lot of time uh to actually just like see all of the vignettes in the game takes up very little time uh but it will reward you uh the more time that you put into it uh and the conclusion of the game there are two endings one which is like uh you saw through the game to the end, that's one ending. And then it's, you figured everything out. And that is the final ending. That's the ending I got. And it is worth getting. And it just makes me wish that there was more of that game. Hmm. Yeah, I really should. And especially considering it's kind of a, a single sit down thing, I really should play that. You will be probably glued to your, to your, to your computer for the time that you play that. Uh, On the edge of my seat. And the music is so good. It, it's also the game, like they have like, there are some audio cues in that game that I wish that like, I, I want to have like as my phone and texting like notifications, like there are some really like satisfying cool sounds that are like as good as the first time you open the chest in legend of Zelda. Yeah. Like they have some audio cues that are like that good. There are some games that came out in November, like Pokemon. Let's go like battlefield five, <laughs> like Pokemon. Let's keep going. Fallout 76. <laughs> Yep. Hitman 2. Hitman 2 came out, uh, and Hitman 2 is the best Hitman game there ever was. Hitman 2 could also be called Hitman 2016 Season 2, but that's too long a name. Uh, Hitman 2 is probably the best stealth game there is out right now. Uh, 2018 was actually a pretty good year for games, because I I realized that as I say things about games, I keep using the term the best. Uh, But Hitman 2 really is the best of a lot of things. if you're a fan of Easy Allies, he's like a pretty well-known reviewer on YouTube, and he actually referred to Hitman 2 as the game of the generation. 
That's wild. So Hitman 2, uh, essentially it is a game where you are put into a giant sandbox level, massive level, and it is just like assassinate this target. And there are dozens and dozens of ways to do it. You will assassinate a target. If you, let's say you're in Sapienza, so you have the... uh, you have to assassinate this rich playboy, you have to assassinate this scientist, and you have to destroy this virus, right? And after you've done these three things, you go to the end of the level, and it says mission complete. And then it will show you 166 challenges. And some of them you probably completed on your first playthrough. Maybe you completed eight challenges, but then you still have another 158 challenges to go through. despite the fact that Hitman 2 only comes uh, with six brand new levels. The levels are massive, and the amount of different ways that you can play through the levels are pretty crazy. All of the unlockables are crazy, too. Uh, So you might have a level that requires you to uh, electrocute all of your targets, uh, but you might not know the great ways to do that. So you might actually go into another level uh, knowing that there's a taser device as one of the unlocks for that level. So as you achieve mastery on some of the maps, you are unlocking gadgets that are going to help you uh, unlock and achieve mastery on the other maps. And they have some really awesome levels this time around. Uh, one, uh, The first level, and this is the level that's been talked about the most, is this Miami level, uh, where you're assassinating one of the people who's in the race and you're also assassinating their father who uh, produces military equipment and has like sort of his research center nearby. And there's so many cool things that you could do because uh, obviously the race is going on as you're in the level. But um, this is also a game where they, they, they sort of uh, have this sort of clockwork to them uh, where they are these moving machines uh, where as the level goes on, the race is happening. And at certain time points, uh, you can expect characters to be in certain places. And also at some point, the race is going to end. And when the race ends, that opens up different assassination opportunities. But you could do things like uh, change the outcome of the race. You could uh, make it so that the person you're trying to assassinate wins the race and uh, poison the, the trophy so that when she goes to drink champagne out of the trophy, it's poisoned and she dies that way. You could push her father onto the track, uh, killing them both. And there's just like all of these crazy stories that could happen. One of my favorite episodes uh, episodes of the game is actually this level called Whittleton Creek. And it's actually just like this, this level that is suburban America, where you're going into people's houses and sneaking around, checking out their basements, figuring out more about who the people are that live there. Like, it is so good. Um, I'm really glad that I, this is one of the games also that like, uh, I took a week off and one of my goals while I had that week off was to just play through Hitman. And I'm really glad I did because it is really awesome. And there's not that many games out there that are like Hitman anymore. Yeah. Other than Majora's Mask. Yeah. Other than Majora's Mask. I just realized that Majora's Mask is, has so many similarities to the way that you're explaining this. It's such a weird predecessor. Uh, Hitman is such a weird predecessor to Majora's Mask, where Majora's Mask is like, you're reliving the same three days, and you have all these characters, and you could do this one thing, and then in the next playthrough, not do this, and you, oh, whatever. Um, what else came out in November? RimWorld came out in November. 
RimWorld is a Kevin a, Klein an special. Indie darling. It is an indie darling that has been in early access for a long time. Uh, it has 28,356 reviews on Steam, 97% of which are positive. That is an overwhelmingly positive rating. Uh, RimWorld is really great. It is sort of a dwarf fortress. It is a streamlined version of Dwarf Fortress where you start out as a bunch of survivors with nothing. And what you're doing is you are sort of like playing a management strategy survival simulation base building sandbox game where it doesn't, where you sort of have this very loose goal of build a spaceship and leave the planet. But you start off with nothing, right? So you're building shelter to stay away from like bad weather to protect yourselves from raiders and then you're like just studying researching new types of stuff you're mining building up your camp you're building new walls but you're all sort of doing this from like this sort of rts perspective because that's what the game sort of plays like is it plays like a sort of strategy game where you're just controlling your units you're you're plonking down walls you're issuing people commands like you go over here and mine this uh, while you cook, you're choosing people's jobs. So you're saying like, uh, you are always going to cook. And if there is no cooking to do, uh, then you're going to shear and things like that. And that is pretty much like the whole game. But the thing that's crazy about it, it's just like all of the emergent storytelling that happens in the game because of the way that the AI works. And, and, and it's sort of hard for me to remember now because I played this game when it was in early access, actually t- more towards the start of the year. Uh, but characters can like lose limbs. And then like, I remember that I had like this married couple uh, that was, and essentially like they were the, it was like the mayor of the town. Like he was the leader of the town and his name was like Toad. And then Toad was protecting uh, his civilization. And like, and Toad was a great guy. Toad was frequently turning down uh, this woman who was trying to, you know, sort of be this adulterer with him and sort of like sort of house wreck. And he would like always rejected her. He said like, no, I love my wife. And then Toad, you know, he's the mayor of the town, but he's out there among among the civilians, among the people. <laughs> he, uh, these aliens come in and Toad is out there on the front lines defending his people. But then he gets zapped by one of these aliens. They burn his face. They mutilate him. He loses an eye and now he's deformed when he's deformed. He sort of goes into this depression and his wife leaves him. So then Toad goes after the woman who, who, you know, was uh, sort of adultering with him, like the woman who was crushing on him. And she's not interested in him either now because he's deformed. So now he's like alone. He's frustrated. And what he does is he takes it out on a prisoner that he captured and he takes their eye and he turns it into a prosthetic. But now he's this monster, right? Now the the people look down on him because in order to regain his relationships, he stole this prisoner's eye. It's a weird game, man. You got to do what you got to do. But that prisoner, is right? It is emergent storytelling. You know, there are a surprising number of games, though, that released in December a bunch of which we didn't even get the chance to play or think about. Games like uh, Grease, Ashen, Below. But there are some games that we did get the chance to check out quite a lot of 
like a Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, which you're still playing, which surprises me. I didn't think that uh, it would have the longevity for you. Yeah, um, World of Light just keeps going, as it turns out. When you think you're done, you're not done. There's a lot more after that. And uh, I'm still kind of enjoying it. I was even watching, I've been even watching kind of the uh, pro Smash stuff. No, no joke. Uh, uh, I feel like right now, at How least. How is the pro scene taking to it? Um, it seems like they're really liking it. And uh, one thing that I appreciate a lot is that uh, they're really kind of playing everyone. Um, I I heard, I, I was watching a uh, tier list, and I think Smash players are a little bit more focused on tier lists than even other communities. Um, but I, I was watching a... When you have this many characters... Yeah, then it kind of almost makes a little sense to be like, there's 71, just tell me which ones to to maybe yeah. focus my time on. I don't want to pick, like, the worst. But um, uh, I, I, I listened to a pro player break down characters into tiers and have since watched a lot of weeklies and tournaments and stuff, just, like, usually in the car, just, like, it'll come up, like, it'll pop up as, like, a... Uh, like a viewed or like something that a recommended video and um, uh, nothing about that tier list kind of seems to be true. Uh, Not that it's not like, not that he wasn't right about the characters overall where they are at, but it seems like the tiers are pretty tight and that people are making every character work. So even some of the characters that people are like, would think are kind of weird or don't work that well, like Incineroar, like doing very well and are just really fun. The new characters uh, have tons of personality and I haven't even really who unlocked they, them yet. Who are, who are the best characters? Is it like Bayonetta? Uh, Bayonetta got a lot of nerfs since the last game. She was the best in 4. Um, I think the, so the best characters according to everyone, according to everyone, Inkling is just the best character. Uh, the, the, the main reason. And, I, and I one of the most fun. What? And one of the most fun. Yeah, and one of the most fun. Um, yeah, so Inkling is pretty much one of the best. And uh, uh, Krom is supposed to be one of the best as well. Um, uh, not Lucio. Um, Lucario. Lucario. And Mewtwo. Uh, and Roy. Uh, and Marth. What is it about Inkling? Um, a bunch of stuff. Inkling is really fast, hits really hard. The passive that increases the damage when you have ink on you is really ridiculous because there's not really any counterplay to it. Um, for right now, uh, one of the strongest moves in the game is uh, the roller because if it connects, uh, it's an instant kill setup because you can because you, you basically it buries the opponent and before they have time, uh, you can press like I think B like neutral B will cancel it and then start charging up like what like a tilt attack and pretty much just kill someone like that. I think that you can kill someone around like forty percent, which is kind of insane if you have them like all inked up and then you bury them and then do a full tilt attack. But yeah, she's amazing. Uh, and then uh, or they're amazing in general and then their their general control they they uh, this in yeah. this game uh, a lot of characters got nerfed on their re- recovery and how they return back to the stage whereas Inkling has a really good recovery. Um, also Inkling has the bomb which is an amazing space control kind of thing. Um, yeah, everything about that kit apparently is like just really ridiculously good. So Here's a question I have for you, though. Who are you playing? Uh, Incineroar right now. I mean, in, in World of Light, I'm kind of playing a lot of different characters. I'm playing, like... Uh, have uh, you I was... found, like, a broken combo yet? In, no, in I don't really Light? know combos. I, sort of, I, I, have a, I have a broken sort of synergy. So, did you find Giga Bowser yet? Um, yes. 
So in that fire dungeon, you can get Giga Bowser, and he comes with Bowser. Uh, and then there's also this item, like it's called like Hothead or something, and it's just like this fireball that like rotates around the map, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so if you have Giga Bowser, he increases your fire attack. You start with this Hothead spirit, and then you use Coughing, which gives you increased fire, and then you play as Bowser. Uh, it turns out that this Hothead item will stay in place if it's continually attacked. So if you play as Bowser and you breathe fire on it, it'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you just keep breathing fire on it. And then you have the increased fire attack from Giga Bowser and coughing. So it'll just like kill anybody that's at like 40%. Pretty good. That's pretty good. So, so it's been slightly invalidating a lot of World of Light for me, but I've also been doing some of the special events on the spirit board. Uh, right now they have like a uh, Fire Emblem one going, and the more challenging spirits have like very specific uh, things going on in their stage. And in those things, you sort of have to kit out your uh, spirit selection to, to sort of counter it. And, and that's kind of nice because it makes it so that you can't just use, like I've got this broken combo, but uh, four out of five times it just won't work on some of these more challenging battles because I have to be uh, counterpicking their setups. Mm. And it's been kind of fun. Uh, I also like the character unlocking because uh, as somebody who's mostly playing through this game by myself, uh, it gives me something fun to work towards. I just hope that uh, King K. Rool isn't too far away on uh, the World of Light track. Yeah, I really want to play King K. Rool. So Artifact also came out in December. Artifact is super cool. Artifact is the Dota card game. Uh, and they recently, you know, a lot of people were worried about it because of some of uh, Valve's initial design philosophies around the game where they said, we want this game to feel like a physical card game. So we're not going to, we're going to be really slow uh, about buffing and nerfing cards. And one of the reasons for this is uh, they have a marketplace, right? Where you're trading cards and buying cards for real world money. And if they were to balance cards, that would sort of invalidate the money that you spent on them. So you might buy like a $15 card and then they nerf it the next day and that would feel bad, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so what happened was a lot of people were complaining about game balance, specifically around two cards. Uh, there was a card named Axe, and he was a hero card, and he was just a ball of stats. And as you might remember uh, from playing Hearthstone at the beginning, stats are the most important thing in the vanilla release of a game. Yeah. Right. Because in the vanilla release, there are fewer effects available. So stats are king. And Axe was just a ball of stats. Another thing that people really hated was there was this card called Cheat Death. And Cheat Death was a lane enhancement. So Artifact is a game that is played across three lanes. Uh, and there are enhancements. Essentially, these are things that you would attach onto the tower in that lane that would give you a permanent effect in that lane. Think about it like a, a Magic the Gathering artifact. Um, so one of them was called Cheat Death, and it was if you have a green hero in this lane, uh, there is a 50% chance, or it was like 25% or 50% chance uh, that your minions survive a fatal blow with one health. 
Oh, I love that. And it was fucking miserable. So a lot of people were falling off of the game. And uh, Valve just said, hey, we were wrong. This was a mistake to do this. And we're actually going to implement uh, nerfs and balances right now. And in addition, what we're going to do is we are going to buy back any cards that you don't want anymore for a set amount of time. They essentially said, like, if you bought Axe and Axe was $30 before this announcement, we are giving you the opportunity to sell it back to us and we will eat the cost. Wow, that's wild. That's actually really wild. So they're going to be balancing the game. They're going to be keeping it up to date. And I actually think Artifact is really fun. I like doing the... uh, I, I like working with the pre-constructed, pre-built decks. I, I think that stuff is really cool. And uh, it, it just plays good. It's the best. It's probably the best-looking card game available. But but I think that in terms of, like, features and, like, the amount of cards available and the amount of options, Magic the Gathering Arena is probably a big contender here. Yeah, Magic the Gathering. I mean, has, that hasn't really launched yet, has that? No, but, you know, this is our podcast. Yeah, I mean, Magic. I've been playing Magic the Gathering Arena every single day. I can't say how much I love that game. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I just got I'm through shocked. the tutorial, so I'm pretty excited. I'm shocked with how the decks they give you in the game, like the especially when you get to the multicolored decks, um, they are so creative. And uh, I've been loving the uh, the dailies because one thing I really hated about Hearthstone was that. Uh, they, they typically the like they had a lot of things like you know win five games with priest or something, and the the dailies will be um, play like twenty uh, blue or green cards. So maybe what that makes you do is play a blue and a green deck, or you play another deck that you like that is uh, has blue or green in it, or just a solo blue or green deck, um, anything like that, and. Uh, it's because it's like letting me try out all these different types of decks, and I've been having so much fun trying to figure out what I like and how I can make the decks that I that were pre-made better. Oh, it's such a good game! And then I I did a draft for the first time. That was really fun. I didn't draft well. That is very complicated. It's a very complicated game to draft. Um, I can Har- only imagine in Hearthstone, like like in Arena, you're kind of just drafting. Um, like you draft like good stuff that's gonna work for Arena. Um, stuff that might work for your class, but there's not really like all that much difference there. But now when you're drafting in, in magic, you're kind of dealing with all the different types of colors and you're dealing with the synergies between colors and all this other stuff. So there's a lot of considerations that go into drafting and like making sure you have a good man, like a, uh, curve and everything like that. Um, there's a lot. I'm really excited to play that game more, but. Uh, the best release of the year is sort of preventing me from touching too many other games. Uh, and that's Path of Exile Betrayal League, right? That came out in December. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a combination of everything else that has come out for Path of Exile this year. It rolls in uh, the past leagues of uh, Inversion and Delve and Bestiary all into this one league. Um which is just the best piece of video game content released this year, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. It's pretty damn close, if not. Uh, and they are seeing so many more players. And, and, you know, so many people 
made fun of the um made fun of this Diablo announcement and talked about like that's it, I'm done, I'm done with this game. But looking at Path of Exile right now, you'll you'll notice that a lot of people really put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, where uh, there are tons and tons of new players uh, for Path of Exile this league. I think they said that there were 50% more player concurrent players at the launch of this league than there were at the launch of the last league. Damn. Uh, and they hit their they most uh, players of all time. And uh, Path of Exile is up for a Steam Award right now, uh, the Labor of Love Award, which I think anybody who is remotely familiar with any of the development for Path of Exile should feel good about voting for them on. I would. They they totally deserve it. The other nominees for uh, Labor of Love are uh, Grand Theft Auto V, Dota 2. Fuck you, Valve, Dota 2. I, I know that it's like it is, uh, voted I guess, for but... by the people, but whatever, Dota 2. Uh, no Man's Sky and uh, Stardew Valley. Come on, Path of Exile. I feel like it's yeah. I feel like it's GGG or maybe even No Man's Sky because No Man's Sky didn't deserve the updates that it got afterwards, but they did so much for it. They yeah, just kept it's almost like it. uh, the the thing that's different. Like the reason why I I could see someone voting for No Man's Sky is like No Man's Sky is not going to make any more fucking money, right? Yeah. Like all the updates that they're doing are sort of like an apology and a restoration of goodwill. Whereas like Path of Exile stands to make a ton more money and they probably will and they probably are. Yeah. Uh, so those are all of the games that mattered to us in 2018. And apparently there's going to be a separate game of the year discussion, which sounds yeah, that's unbelievable. The, that's more of the, because we did an award show last year and I wanted to do one for, for board games as well. I had a really exciting thing planned for that, um, but we it is too late. I, I am very tired, and I have to wake up tomorrow at 3. Good, good luck getting one of the, getting people to discuss board games with Well, that's us. just going to be you. But um, uh, my idea, since uh, we're coming to the end of this podcast, uh, for, for the board game, the upcoming board game episode, was to do a, I think this is the only way we can do it correctly, a basically a board game award show where uh, I, I will we'll collaborate also on like what we want to uh, uh, give awards to and like what should be nominated, but it should be like the other podcast where it's basically anything that you can mention at the time that will get the votes can go for it. But uh, uh, it would be board games of all time rather than board games that came out this year because we're kind of we're, we're new, new to, to board this. games. What? Yeah, we're new to this. We're so, new to this. So what I wanted to do was do a complete like this is all the board games, like every board game of all time is up for contention for any of these awards, basically. And it's just kind of what we played this year. So it's a weird award show, but I think it's going to be really fun. So, so you know what's crazy is I've never actually seen uh, your physical collection of board games. That's Do true. Do you think that you could name every board game that you own? I could name? Yes. Um, most of them, yeah. Hmm. Do you know how many it is? Uh, I don't know. Kind of weird to think about, right? 30? The not knowing. 30 is a lot. That's a pretty big... That's like your collection is probably bigger than mine, possibly, right? Yeah, it's a closet worth. A very large closet worth. That's wild. Yeah, see, my board games, uh, they stand proud on a shelf uh, right as you walk into my my apartment. But at the same time, uh, it's also brooding 
the collection gets bigger. I know. I have to do something about that as well. So it's sort of this. Uh, it's this mark of of I'm proud. It's a homunculus. It just keeps at. It just keeps can I, growing. Can I be? Can I feel pride and shame at the same thing at the same time? The answer is yes. Yes, I can. This has been a great episode of uh, What's the Deal with Games. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, James. And uh, I don't need to tell you where this podcast is because you heard two hours of it. Uh, Suffice it to say, despite the fact that we discussed games for two hours, Ryan, we just don't have it yet. Yes. Um, And once again, Ryan Galloway, thank you. Crying, Ryan Galloway. Um, Thank you for all you did, crying. Yeah. Like I said, sad to see them go. And um, happy holidays to everybody. Yes, and we'll be back uh, been, really soon with multiple. Great year for video games. Yeah, glad we could talk about it with you folks who are listening. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody else. Goodbye. Thank you, Rob. Bye. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas for the Republicans out there. <laughs> <laughs>